Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's just the position you're always in as a first mover. Mm-hmm. You know, like I say, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. And yeah, I mean, over the you know last eight years, I saw stuff that we did that no one else did and them just pick it up. Usually it's about, if they're going aggressive, you'll see it within 18 months, but within three to four years, you definitely see it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, no, it's, I mean, and at the end of the day, I would tell this to anybody from an advice perspective. Ideas are cheap. Mm-hmm. Ideas are free. Someone can take yours any minute. You can take someone else's in any minute. You can copycat a strategy. At the end of the day, it really comes down to execution and being flexible in your execution. Hmm. So can you turn on the dime really quick because you're going in a certain direction and you need to adjust? Can you make that cut mm-hmm. and 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 not lose a step? Most importantly is the team, the composition of the team in the team's culture. Mm-hmm. And by the team, I don't care what you do, who you are, everything has a team. Right. You're in high school right now. Your family unit is your team. Your parents, your brother's sister, that, they're part of your crew. They're there to support you. And they may give you advice you don't want to hear. But part of the growth process is understanding that even the advice that makes absolutely no sense, just give it a second to marinate and think about it and think of maybe where the intention is coming from. So even if it sounds like bad advice, what's the intent of the advice that's being given? And how do you process that to pull a nugget out of there? Like, oh, wait, that didn't make any sense. However, doing this or that might be something I might want to give a quick try to see how it works. Yes. And I'll tell you, that's to me, one of the most important reasons why teams, individuals, and organizations succeed or fail. My name is Dr. Mark Williams. Welcome to my masterclass. I have a PhD in education from West Virginia University. I have a master's in sport management and an MBA from the University of Massachusetts. I even have an undergraduate degree in sociology from William Patterson University. And currently, I'm the Global Scholar Practitioner at HBCU, Florida Memorial University. But I also work for three of the largest sports brands in the world, Reebok, Champ Sports, and Foot Action. But I can't go anywhere without my Jordan 1s. Join me and my guests as we explore their rise to the top through adversity and challenges. It's time to help you find a hero in you. Welcome to my masterclass. Welcome to another episode of Dr. Mark's Masterclass. How's everybody doing? I just want to check in with everybody. Everyone always asks me, why do we call this the Masterclass? Because it's your story. You are the expert. And that's why we call it the Masterclass. Because everybody has a gift. Everyone has talent. Everyone has something that they can contribute. And we are going to talk to people about their their lives and how they got to where they became, who they are, their journey, their their shortcomings and how they overcame that. That's what this show is about. It's easy to talk to people and say, oh, yes, I played pro sports. Oh, yes, I was uh, I've got my MBA. Oh, yes, I've done this. But how did you get there? What was your journey? And we got to get people to, to really open up. So we're going to do that. Okay. And what better way I like to do, I start off my shoulder, showing off my test. Yeah, I got the mic on the arm. Yeah, it was inspired by LL, you know, 4321. You know what I'm saying? He was trying to put young cannabis in his place. And he talked about getting back to the mic on his arm. And we all knew he had the mic on his arm, right? So everything was always going to come back to hip hop. Yo, 
yeah, hip hop. That's why I live and breathe hip hop. I am hip hop. And then I also got the tat right here, the hero. People always ask me, you know, who's your hero? Is a LeBron? Is a Jordan? Is a Dr. J? No, I'm my own hero. You should be your own hero. What does that mean? It means that hero, the acronym is, is hope, efficacy, you know, resilience and optimism. It is a discipline from organizational behavior by Dr. Fred Luthans, my mentor, University of Nebraska Lincoln. My man's been cited 82,000 times. That's the big dog. And I promised him that I was going to carry on his legacy. And that's what I tell people every day. If they're a student, if they're people walking down the street, I let them know you are your own hero. You control your destiny, my friends. Okay. So with that said, I have a brother that I'm about to introduce you to. Okay. Not only is he a brother, and I don't mean a brother like a black person. I mean a brother like a man. That's what I call a brother. But he also happens to be black. Ooh, yes. But he's another kind of brother to me. He's my Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated brother. A5 brother. That's right. I'm about to bring Corey Rosemond, my frat brother, as one of the leading people in the world, not only in education, but also in video game industry and pop culture. This brother right here, he's a vice president of Nacon Gaming, Global partnerships and directive rig gaming. And, but before we bring them up, I want to first thank the people that make it possible for me. Esports Futurize Podcast Network. Yes. Yes. The network who, who, who created that? Oh, no other than Jacob Miles the third, not the first, not the second, but the third, my friends. Yes, that's right. My man in them. My, you know, when we talk about hip hop, we say my man's in them. That doesn't mean your man and other people. It's relaxed. It's just chill. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to overload your brain. Okay. And I got to also give a shout out to innovation media enterprises. But, you know, but without further ado, I bring my brother, Corey Roseman up. Brother Corey, what's going on, man? Dr. Mark, how you doing, man? Nice to see you. Good to see you, brother. You know, as I told you earlier, that I'm always going to represent, and I got to show this off. Yeah, I got to call out, show off the Call of Duty joint right here. This I was sent this by Brother Corey, right? Only 10 people in America's got this joint right here, okay? And I'm going to tell you, I, I got it in a box still. Is it that I don't play? I can play, but I just want to tease the folks out there. Yes, I'm represented because Brother Corey sent this to me. Brother Corey, thank you again for that wonderful gift. Tell everybody about this. this this brand right here and how powerful this is and why only 10 of these are, 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 are in America right now. And I got one of them. Yes, you do. It's very limited edition. That is our joint effort with Activision, which primarily was in Europe because of the esports scene there, because of the leagues there are things that are taking place that frankly in America, we're still playing a little bit of catch up to. So Unfortunately, they were only made available in Europe. I was able to grab a few, and, and you were one of the lucky recipients of that. But more about Nacon. Nacon is a global company focused on gamers across the board. From a competitive standpoint, from a lightweight comfort standpoint, we make peripherals and games that people enjoy. And earlier and last year, March 2020, just as the pandemic was breaking out, Nacon acquired the Rig gaming brand, of which I'm one of the co-founders. And Rig has been big in the esports scene, big on PlayStation, on Xbox for the past five to six years. So we started the company to make a lightweight, comfortable headset that would enable you to compete better. How? By using quality products to get a quality mic and sound experience, but do it in such a way that's lightweight. It's super comfortable. Uh, we have some of the lightest headsets in the business. We actually, our headsets are made to be modular and in, in, in some respects are made to break apart. 
when stressed out. For those folks that like, you know, no one likes to admit it, but sometimes we got to rage quit or you just sit on your headset or what have you. What rig enables you to do more than anybody else is either, well, one, just put it back together. The, the, the headset will come apart if, if stressed and you can just put it back together and it works. Whereas a lot of competitive headsets, if you sat on them, they would just break. It's too much pressure. Like Number this, two, like if this. you have any of those like, issues, like thank like, you. Yes. Absolutely, Mark. And uh, so we have had, you know, incredible success with the rig brand available at all major retailers, GameStop, Best Buy, Walmart, Amazon, Target. So really virtually everyone has access to experience our headsets and I definitely welcome them to give them a try. What made you, I know you're a gamer, and but what made you decide to be one of the co-founders? Because is it something that you saw the need of or was it an opportunity that presented itself? How did that come about? It's really a combination of things. It was an opportunity that presented itself, but it also was something that would fuel or at least where I could apply my passion. And that's something that a lot of people, my one first point of advice is you want to do something that not only you can be good at, but something you're going to be passionate about. And so for me, I've been in the game industry, you know, since the mid nineties and I worked at companies like Microsoft, Dell, HP. In fact, you know, I sold some of the, I I created the website to sell some of the first gaming peripherals and products from Dell. So if you bought a Dell gaming PC or Dell XPS, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I helped, you know, set that all up. And what I wanted was after having worked at those really big three companies in the gaming hardware space, I really wanted to do something that was, frankly, a global problem that I could help attack and address, if you will. And so I left Microsoft and the Xbox group in 2010, I actually set up shop in uh, Reykjavik, Iceland, and Mm. Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Mm. And why did I do that? I felt like there was too much kind of America first thinking, frankly, in the sense that we only looked at gaming from an American perspective. I wanted to look at it from a global perspective. What's taking place in Asia? What's taking place in South America? What's taking place in China? What's taking place in Europe, all of Europe, the EU, as well as the non-EU countries like Sweden, Norway, or Russia, for example. And the only way I was able to do that was, frankly, to get out of the U.S. and actually work as a VP of publishing and then as a uh, head of strategy and a strategic advisor to a couple of companies that were looking at the global situation and that weren't based in America. And after doing that for a couple of years, what really made the rig gaming brand and, and getting recruited by Plantronics at the chief product officer level, what made that happen was of any of the people they were talking to, no one was uh, trying to address the problem of gaming headsets from a global perspective. Let's take into account not just what, you know, people going to GameStop would want to buy or Best Buy, but what are people, what are the struggles that they're challenged with in China, in Russia, in the UK, in France, in Brazil, all over the world? And what you found was Different people had different problems and issues that, from an American perspective, we weren't even thinking about because we just hadn't gotten to that level of thinking about it yet. So, you know, something as simple as having something that's super lightweight with a removable mic. Well, why would you need that? 
just in case when I'm not playing games, I just need to have a headset that I can use, plug into my laptop and not bother the other two or three people I have to share a bedroom or a living space with. Right. And that's something that's very real in China, for example, because average family of four lives in the one bedroom. It could be like a, the size of a one bedroom apartment, much smaller spaces. In America, it's not something people are thinking about yet. However, when we added some of those features and made some of those decisions, people just discovered, oh, wow, I can use this headset for more than just gaming. And I'm just giving you like a really high level brief example of with that global perspective in gaming, especially really allowed and enabled us as the rig brand to compete with people that, I mean, have exponentially more marketing budget and spend than us. I mean, dude, I mean, I'm just going to be a little raw with it, but to use an old Chris Rock joke, Logitech or HyperX would jump out of a window if they had our marketing budgets. Hmm. Wow. I mean, you know, the, the amount of resources they have to get the word out and say who they are and what they're providing value is wow compared to us. So what did we do? We actually found and saw the opportunity in esports. Hmm. And starting with our Commander Pro headset all the way down the line was to say, look, here's our products being used by the pro gamers at the league level. And that technology, that value add is what you're going to see in that. product you get at Walmart, for example, or Target, or that you will want your parents to get for you. And understanding that dynamic, that a lot of times people only target the core gamer, but they don't target the actual decision maker for purchasing a said product. For us, we had to take into account, I'm not only trying to appeal to Johnny Gamer, I also want to make sure for example, with official licensing with PlayStation or Xbox, I want to assure little Johnny's parent that this is a legit headset that will work on the PlayStation or Xbox, for example. And that's where we were one of the first companies in the world to actually have official licensing from both PlayStation as well as Xbox, as well as Dolby from a perspective of Atmos and the Atmos 3D dimensional sound. So just a couple of things that I'm dropping off here in rapid stage format to tell you that having that passion and and, and also trusting the process in the sense that have your passion, have your strategy, always be willing to, to tweak it, but don't tweak it too much because a lot of that core thinking, you know, you, you're probably on the right path. You just need to tweak some things, make a couple of adjustments, but don't don't give up hope too quickly because a lot of times uh, you will see the fruits of your labor and it may take three to five years. That's interesting. You say that you, when you mentioned you were talking about the, the other countries in terms of looking at it globally, what about Mm -hmm. countries like continents, like the continent of Africa where mobile gaming is is more prevalent in, in those spaces versus you having PC and versus the console games, you have mostly mobile. That's what that's, you know, mobile industry, I think is like a 19, $20 billion industry and China, right. you know, occupies what 7 billion of it or something. But so tell us about how, how does the, the headsets, how do you deal with the headsets in those spaces when you're dealing with mobile gaming? Yeah, uh, it's a good, great question. I will say first and foremost that headsets, with mobile gaming was a decision that was a hard decision for us, but we had to decide not to make that a priority. For us, we 
uh, focused on console gaming. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'll be honest, as on an individual level, it pained me. But when I did the analysis, did the numbers, talked to the experts, for the continent of Africa, with the exception of some relatively light stuff being done in South Africa and Nigeria, from a console or from a PC gaming perspective, there just wasn't an opportunity there. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did a couple of deals with some resellers to sell product and we got nominal results. However, on the mobile side, from a hardware perspective, you're absolutely right. Between Google and Apple, they've been able to make incredible inroads into the continent and gaming being a natural accelerator from that. And frankly, they were better positioned. So Samsung is the leading OEM for Google and Apple were in positions to really do a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've done some things, but I, I, I believe that they could reprioritize to do more on the African continent because they do have the, frankly, they have, they, they have the audience. I mean, this explosion is happening on their platforms and for them tying in a headset to their mobile gaming experience is something that I'll put it like this. It's rising up on their, rising up on their antennas now. Google's made some investments into peripherals. Apple obviously bought Beats, which was their big investment into peripherals, and they have their own roadmaps. But I can tell you for a fact, when it comes to mobile gaming and peripherals, you know, those two to three companies. So, you know, Samsung slash Google, Samsung's the biggest OEM for Google Android. LG is another player. And then Apple, they basically suck up all of the air or approximately 85% of it and leave 15 for everyone else to fight over versus, you know, console market maybe is closer to like 30 to 40% between Xbox and PlayStation. So there's a lot more blue ocean, if you will, for everyone outside of those two platform companies. And so, I mean, I would always constantly challenge a Google or, or an Apple to do more in those emerging markets because the business model does exist for those guys there. They just, they choose to chase something else for whatever reason. But the broadband is a, is, a, is a tough thing to get over there. Do you, do you foresee that not being an issue in the future uh, on the continent? Or do you think, or do you see that mobile gaming has a big upside in, let's say in the next five to 10 years? Or do you see the, 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 the PCs and console, I'll say consoles, because yeah. I think more people will be able to afford computers in the future. Do you think PC, uh, consoles will be non-existent or you think there'll always be a market marketplace for that? It's another good, I mean, I know, really I'm, ask, I know I'm asking day, good questions. You, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's a good question in the sense that I keep, I mean, I, you, I give you the same answer I gave 15 years ago. I always thought that, you know, con- the console would in the PC would, would merge as a platform we're still not there yet. It just hasn't happened. I mean, now, if you think about the latest generation of consoles, they are PCs. They're just mm-hmm. dedicated use PCs now. So the quick answer is everyone thinks that the next generation is the last generation, but then there's another generation. So, I mean, honestly, 10 years ago, I would have thought that by now we would have like transferred everything over that basically you'd be able to play a PS5 quality game on a on a macbook pro for example or macbook Hmm. we've gotten there are some respects with streaming and things of that nature but the all the other aspect of it is 10 years ago what ps3 you can run ps3 graphics with ease on a macbook air 
mm-hmm. for example, or an entry-level laptop. Mm-hmm. The problem is a PS5 can now blow your mind away with the graphics of it. So that it just keeps increasing and keeps increasing. To come back to the issue of Africa and broadband, to answer that question, I actually think that the the country and the companies from this country are going to do that. That's going to be China, because mm-hmm. I do believe that China has philosophically changed the narrative from traditional colonialism. Mm-hmm. And so if you think about it, I mean, you know, I'm not the... I'm African-American studies uh, minor in college, but I don't have a PhD in it. So there's people that know way more than me that can talk through this. But the point is, you know, Europe basically came in through colonialism and just grabbed, took what they wanted, threw away the rest when it comes to the continent of Africa. They literally split the pie up among themselves. The Chinese, in my opinion, and from what I've researched, are taking a different take on it. A lot of that comes from, you know, their rooted communist beliefs in some respects are more just a different way to slice the apple, if you will. So where traditionally, you know, a European country would come in, grab the diamond, the rights to the diamond mine, for example, or the gold mine or whatever it is, and basically subjugate the people, put a talented group, the top one, two percent to kind of subjugate everybody of the local populace. And pretty much just take everything and not give anything back. Hmm. I think we all understand that. From what I understand, what the Chinese are doing is, yeah, we're going to get the rights. So we acquired the rights from this European company for this gold mine, for example. But we're going to do this. We're going to actually build out and give back and reinvest into the area so that, for example, we're going to build subdivisions. We're going to have trains. We're going to have office buildings. We're going to, it's going to look nice. It's going to look nice and modern and all glass and everything. Oh, okay. And by doing that, we're going to create a top 20, 30% versus a top one or 2%. And so basically what you're doing is you're creating the middle class from nothing. And you're offering supposedly a society, a, a greater hope, a bigger hope, this infrastructure. Now who's going to build all this stuff? Sure, the laborers are going to be from the local population, giving them jobs and opportunity, but it's going to be a conglomerate of Chinese companies that are state-controlled or state-influenced, and so they're going to make money because now they're getting to apply all their expertise in their factories are cranking out all this stuff, and they're literally building communities and cities out of nothing. I mean, I saw one picture where there was just land, and five years later, dude, it looks like, I mean, you know, a downtown modern city. And the point is, is that I do believe that China is going to continue investing in the continent of Africa. It's going to cause some political risk because people are going to be like, yo, the the Chinese are like like raising the boat up for everybody Hmm. and making money while doing it. Hmm. So I do believe mobile broadband, I believe gaming, all that stuff is going to come to the continent of Africa. My... I won't even call it a concern, but my observation is it's going to be led by Chinese and Korean companies versus European or American companies. Hmm. One thing that's interesting, a lot of people, you, you're, you're very knowledgeable about historical facts. And, and I love the fact that you are what I love about Corey, everyone, not because he's an alpha man and he's smart and well read, but I find it interesting. I was talking to a, a brother from 
Niger, and he he asked me some questions at the airport a few years ago. And I said, oh, yeah, he said, have you heard of my country? And I said, yeah, you're in West Africa. He's like, how do you know that? I'm like, I read. My father taught right. African studies for 39 years. And it was interesting because every time I talk to someone from the continent of Africa, not all the time, but a lot of times, and they, they find it fascinating that I know we're part of, you know, Africa they live in. They get surprised, excited, but not in a bad way. It's almost like right. you Americans, you know, don't really pay attention to geography. And I will encourage you that's out there now. Especially if you're in the gaming industry, you don't know where your gaming skills may take you, whether you whether they take you anywhere across the continent or anywhere across outside of this country. Read and learn geography, my friends. It is nothing wrong. It's, it's something sexy about reading. OK. And being knowledgeable. I know some people that are leaders around the country, around the world may not think it's that important. But it is very important to be knowledgeable about subject matters. Also, geography, it is extremely important to not to have knowledge of the continents, very all the continents, as well as the countries that are in them. And so I want to kind of go back for a second. We're going to get back to this, this, this topic. But a lot of people don't know this about you, that prior to you doing, you know, working in the video game industry, you're an educator. OK, so you're an educator by and just a lover of knowledge. So tell us about your, I know you went to the to, to University of Texas in Wash U for your master's. So let's talk about your journey through high school to going to college and how you wound up getting into education. And then we can segue into the video game industry and how that even happened. Yeah, I, I think it would all start with me being, you know, blessed to be from a family of educators. So from a mother who's, a, a, you know, her, her single career was as a school teacher and watching the people she influenced and advised and counseled over the years and just being, you know, really having a love for service of others, especially on the micro level and, and from that micro level, creating the platform or the community to create it at a macro level to drive real change. So I, I got to start with just the way I was raised, you know, in high school, uh, I, I actually was thinking I was going to do a military career because even with my dad who who was in the military for uh, like 32 years, there was still a level of service, not only to the public, but to developing the actual people under your command. You know, he was the guy that was a sergeant in Vietnam that was like, listen to me, trust what I say, you probably will make it out of here alive. He was that guy. And he taught me a lot of those life lessons about, it, you know, the best thing you could do for someone else is to help them avoid the mistakes that you made. Mm. Wow. And now they can choose to listen or not listen, but the best you can do is to at least try to give them some perspective, at least try to give them a point of view that can enlighten their thinking. And once you've done that, you know, you let them fly or trust on their own. And so with that, yeah, through undergrad at WashU, through UT, it took me a while to find myself on that. The military thing fizzled out. My These glasses showed up right around time when you needed to have 20-20 vision. So that wasn't a route for the direction I was trying to take. But then I did find the video game industry and worked in a number of companies, mainly pre, pre-teaching, I worked HP. Mm. Compact and Dell computer. Mm-hmm. And then Microsoft. And after that, like I said, part of that exploring myself was really giving back in a much more active way. And that's where 
I decided to go work as an adjunct professor and a lecturer at SMU's Guildhall, mm. which is one of the top graduate schools for uh, game production study in the U.S. and arguably one of the top 10 in the world. Mm. That's where people go and, 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 and truly finish off their skills for a career in the game industry. Wow. So do you think was that was that really was that the impetus for you to think about going into gaming, being being in that space? Or was that something you always thought about because you're someone that actually studied or, or actually did this for fun, you know, playing games? Or, you, or, sure. or did you just did that experience make you want to be in the industry or did you or were you, or you already thinking that? No, I was already in the industry. That experience gave me such a fresh perspective. I mean, I give a shout out to all of my former students. They, you know, in many respects, they they probably taught me more than I taught them, arguably, in, mm. in the sense of their perspectives, how they were looking at the industry, how they were bouncing things off, and I'm bringing new things to them. And the real great discussion, and that's why I love teaching in graduate school, because as you know, you know, once you get out of undergrad, it is not so much the teacher or the lecturer or the professor speaking to you. It's about, okay, them facilitating, these are the concepts we're going to talk about today and let's have an open discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, what can what perspective can you give to that? What new things have you seen in the world that counter this long-held belief or this long-held policy or mm-hmm. what have you? And that was where it really helped me and enabled me to think on a level that, um, frankly, much more entrepreneurial than I was before. I think before teaching, before going out and working outside the U.S., you know, I was another corporate suit. Okay, this is what we do as a company, and you just get into the internal mechanics of it. And yeah, I'm in gaming. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But you weren't, I didn't feel the, the fulfillment of impact as much as I did after. Mm-hmm. And part of that was working internationally. Part of that was teaching and, and finding out that there are things that are going to be the future that existing companies, existing leaders in those companies just ignored. It had not, didn't, didn't want to have anything to do with. So for example, free to play gaming mm-hmm. was a concept that was talked about at the bigger companies, but wasn't a priority for them until they noticed a material drop in their revenue or in their users. And that was years later, but that was something that I was able to pick up, able to see why it would be successful. And from there, be able to make the strategic calls that I made, for example, early on in rig, mm-hmm. we're going to be part and parcel. We're going to be part of the esports movement. Mm. And had we not done that, I'll be honest, I don't know how we would have kind of gotten launched off from, from nothing. I mean, Rig eight years ago, it didn't exist, you know, and we created it. And then when we launched it, uh, we launched it in partnership with two companies that back then no one wanted to, no one was looking to do partnerships. When I say no one, a lot of people were not looking to do partnerships with a Riot Games Hmm. or a Valve software. Right. Traditionally, who would you go partner with for games? EA. Yeah. Yep. You know, even 2K Activision, Ubisoft, people weren't even, people were kind of sleeping on Take-Two back then, you yeah. know, with NBA 2K. This is all, it, it, the, the world was EA and Activision for the most right. part. So we did not partner with those guys because we didn't have the resources to. We partnered with 
people that just weren't as big on the radar. And, and Valve was not, you know, no one knew. They, the gaming people knew. But broader than that, they didn't. And so that enabled us to do a lot of great things. Do you see other brands? And we talked one time about Logitech and, you know, yep. them being one of the leading, you know, headset companies. Do a lot of the bigger brands that they look at your brand and, and, and kind of not be threatened by it. But but are there are things that they take from what you do because you you have a more uniqueness to who you are. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's just the position you're always in as a first mover. Mm-hmm. You know, like I say, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. And yeah, I mean, over the you know last eight years, I saw stuff that we did that no one else did, and them just pick it up. Usually, it's about. If they're going aggressive, you'll see it within 18 months, but within three to four years, you definitely see it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, no, it's, I mean, and at the end of the day, I would tell this to anybody from an advice perspective, ideas are cheap. Mm-hmm. Ideas are free. Someone can take yours any minute. You can take someone else's in any minute. You can copycat a strategy. At the end of the day, it really comes down to execution and being flexible in your execution. Hmm. So can you turn on the dime really quick because you're going in a certain direction and you need to adjust? Can you make that cut mm-hmm. and 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 not lose a step? Most importantly is the team, the composition of the team in the team's culture. Mm-hmm. And by the team, I don't care what you do, who you are, everything has a team. Right. You're in high school right now. Your family unit is your team. Your parents, your brothers, sisters, that, they're part of your crew. They're there to support you and they may give you advice you don't want to hear, but part of the growth process is understanding that even the advice that makes absolutely no sense, just give it a second to marinate and think about it and think of maybe where the intention is coming from. So even if it sounds like bad advice, what's the intent of the advice that's being given and how do you process that to pull a nugget out of there? Like, oh, wait, that didn't make any sense. However, Doing this or that might be something I might want to give a quick try to see how it works. Yes. And I'll tell you, that's to me one of the most important reasons why teams, individuals, and organizations succeed or fail. Have you this have you been if you just got into listening to our podcast, I'm gonna remind you you're listening to Mr. Corey Rosemond, my Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity brother. This is the Esports Future Right Podcast Network, my friends, powered by Innovation Media Enterprises. Shout out to Aaron and Sia. Thank you for holding us down. Brother AJ, thank you so much. And also to Jacob Miles, the third, not the first, not the second, but the third. Corey, so tell me, you know, one of the things that's that I want to say troubling, but one of the things that has been on everyone's mind, more so now than any time, I think, <laughs> and you know, since the mid 80s when Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton were, pion- when I want to say pioneers, but they were advocates on making sure that there was uh, pathways for people of color and major corporations. And after the death of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Aubrey, there seemed to be this um, growing trend on brands uh, that wanted to give back and to find ways to make to make things right in the black community. What 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 publishing companies or brands did you see in the video game industry that are making uh, inroads in terms of trying to find ways to find places for people of color and ethnic minorities and women in gaming? Yeah, I would say their efforts 
across the board with a lot of companies. And I remember there were numbers of companies that at an uber high level, I mean, C-level CEO wanting to reach out to people. Does anybody black they can find? Me, other people. <laughs> the interesting thing is, I'll tell you what I told them because there was a lot going on at the time. I said, hey, you know what? Let's wait four to six months and see if they're still as eager to talk or as motivated to talk because I hate to say it, man, you know, something else is going to come up in the news cycle that's going to bury this deep. Mm. The one thing I knew about, obviously, was a presidential election. Mm-hmm. I mean, as that comes closer, this is going to all fall. They're going to figure. They're going to figure out the narrative of this so that it's not front and center mm. as we get closer to the election. And that's just a prediction. I knew what studying history, studying news cycles. You know, just look how things happen. They they spike, and then okay, okay, it's still happening. Okay, okay. And I lived it with Hurricane Katrina, hmm. where it affected me and my family. But then after like two months, there's still people with no power, still people with destroyed homes. But the, the rest of the world has kind of moved on. Hmm. And, it, and, and that's just the way it works. I mean, it's not bad or good. It's just reality. And so I will say, and this is what I'm leading up to, I was able to do a follow-up and ping around some people. And frankly, most people had kind of moved on or this is not, you know, we don't have to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I won't go into who didn't respond. I will go into who after months I was able to reach out to. We were able to have a dialogue. And I can say as a leader of a big gaming entity, I am convinced that they want to do the right thing from a perspective of not only hiring, but developing, managing, retaining, and promoting Black people to be leaders in that organization. And I'm going to put them on blast, but that would be Phil Spencer from Xbox. Mm. Wow. Because we followed up months later. We didn't have a, you know, a solid discussion until the November timeframe, October, November timeframe, in a sustained discussion. And there's a Kotaku article where... It goes into more detail of what Phil's trying to do with Xbox and black leaders. He called out black. He's not saying underrepresented minorities. He's not saying diverse. He's calling out, you know, Xbox is looking to bring in and and really looking to dig into how to get more black leadership throughout the organization across the board. Hmm. Is that encouraging to you or do you do? I mean, I I know you speak very highly of him many times is that is that the kind of leadership we need in the video game industry? And do you think that more people will start following suit because of him? Or do you think that people will just find out, just kind of just let it happen when it happens? All of the above is the quick answer to that. Okay. I think that someone at his size, stature, and the entity entity he has will be a pretty big place. I'll put it like this. I'll use this analogy. I... At Guildhall, there were a number of students who took some advice I had about you want to go to an Xbox or a PlayStation versus a boutique, smaller studio. Why? Well, every game, boutique to the biggest games, have to run in these systems. And if you're working in dev, design, certification, 
you're right out of school. You're fresh. You don't really know the gaming industry. So you want to go to the most fundamental place you can because you're going to see everything. You go to a PlayStation or Xbox, you're going to see every game, every submission, everything. And by the way, you have the right to see everything. Mm. It's encouraged. You go to a studio, you go to an EA. You go to an EA, you won't learn anything about NBA 2K at all. It's a competitor. Mm. You won't learn about Call of Duty. You won't learn about legal. You won't learn about everything else. You're going to just be focusing on what you're doing, which later on in your career is awesome. Mm -hmm. But early in your career, you want to go to the biggest, broadest corporate structure you can so you can learn something. Mm. You know, it's like if you want to be a financial planner and manager to the stars, you don't just open up shop when you finish with your MBA or laundry or whatever. No, you go work at a Goldman Sachs or um, Bank of America, wherever. Chase, you know, you go work at the biggest place you can, kind of learn the ropes on their dime while paying you well. And then you're like, okay, it's time to start Corey's financial advising firm. Hmm. But guess what? You've now got all the experience from the big corporation. And by the way, it's a fair exchange. People are like, oh, wait, you're ripping off the corporation. No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. You know, because for that, I don't know, one, two, three hundred grand they're paying you, they're making 30, 40, 50, 100 million dollars off of you in your work because it combines with the system of the corporation to help them make that much more money. And so my point is, yeah, I mean, yeah. And then mind you, I'm not begrudging Sony because there's definitely a move afoot at Sony and they are aggressively reaching out as well. I will say in terms of timing, I think Xbox did it first. And I think Sony's, you know, they're like, hey, wait, hold up. We're 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 down too. <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, Nintendo's gonna follow suit. But to me, anybody who wants to get into the game industry, I tell them right now, my personal belief has been I I believe in getting the fun getting the foundation from a bigger corporate entity in the gaming space, in my personal opinion. Now so where could, you know, could that be at an EA Activision? Absolutely, if you want to make games. But if you want to learn like the whole thing or a big piece of the whole thing, you want to go to one of the platform companies. So if you want to be in mobile, you want to go to a Google or an Apple. And then now, how do you stand out from the other 30,000 people that day that are applying to those places? Mm -hmm. My advice there is going to be, depending on whatever your specialty is, you need to create and show competency with with no one else doing it but yourself. What do I mean by that? Like if you're a developer or a designer, you need to make a simple game, a couple of simple games. Talk to the pros and cons of them. Get everybody in your dorm to play the game. So, you know, you get everybody, if you go to a university, you, you know, your university has 5,000 students, 3,000 students. Hey, I was able to get 500 students to download and play this game. And we did X, Y, and Z. And you walk through it. You talk through it. That's what Apple and Google want to hear. So, like, if you go to, I mean, I'm just going to pick a school, like a Xavier University, which I know very well, New Orleans, Louisiana, historically black college and university. And, you know, find, you know, first you got to find other students. Is anyone else interested in the game industry? and decide how you all can make an impact. You know, if you come together, you make a game and you test it out among the students and then you get them all to go download and play it. And then you tell them to go, go tell everybody, you know, 
Because a, a school like Xavier, which like what I don't know, four or five thousand undergrads max, their reach, and this is something that people understand, a school like Xavier has a reach of easily a million people through social media. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense to you, including alumni. Because on average, yeah. everybody knows 20, 20 unique people. Mm-hmm. So, I say if you can get you know ten percent of that, one percent of that going to be 10,000 people. You get 10,000 people go out and download your game. You'll get into the rankings of Google Play mm. and Apple iOS store. Wow. I mean, if you need to see what I'm talking about, go look at Flappy Bird. It's a silly game. But guess what? It downloaded. A lot of people saw it. That person wants to go interview somewhere. My point, to, my point, my meta point is this. The new resume is actual proof of work. Mm. Now, you know, what game companies want to see is that you've done what you what you're trying to do. How do you explain to young people now where it's I want to I don't, yeah. don't want to even label young people. <laughs> I'll tell you, how do you explain to people in general okay. how to maximize that? Because one, one of the things that Corey talked about, very important, he talked about. Early in your career, if you want to work in a video game industry, you want to work for a large brand so you get a chance to learn how everything works. One of the things that I did in my career, I worked for, you know, two athletic retailers, Champ Sports and Foot Action. And one of the things that I learned being in marketing, it was the other way around. I started at Reebok first, but it was great to learn about the other shoe brands, the Nike, the Reebok, the Adidas, the Timberland. I got a chance to work, work on the accessories and got a chance to learn about the accessories as well as the sock division and all those wonderful things so that I understood the brands better. And then if I wanted to work for a Reebok or Nike, I would understand the brand much better if I did that afterwards. And I think the equivalent of a Foot Locker would be an equivalent of a, I guess, a company like Activision or some sort, I guess, right? Would you say? And and you learn that and then you work with the studio, the studios will re- represent the brand, for example. So I think it's important that you learn as much as you can and don't look at any of your experience as something that's not important. If you do things on social media, if you're volunteering, all your experiences are going to matter. Okay. So don't get caught up in titles and positions. We see a lot of that, Corey. So how do you how do you communicate to a young person or anybody that's trying to get into the industry in terms of creating an opportunity for themselves? What should that look like and how should they go about doing it? Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no one quick answer because every individual in every situation is unique. But I will say that it it I mean, and I mean, frankly, when speaking to youth, especially black youth, I I use the two models that they are familiar with. A lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times you talk to somebody about getting into the music business or getting into professional sports. Mm -hmm. People understand you don't make a great album just in the basement working 10 hours a week on the side. You got to put in some serious time. If you have a full-time job, then you can have a second full-time job trying to make your first demo tape or what have you, or getting nowadays, getting it up on SoundCloud or YouTube so people can notice you. Same thing with professional sports. I mean, you know, it's famously now we talk about pro athletes that don't like practice, but (laughs) for every pro athlete I personally know, or aspiring pro athlete, 
practice is just a start for them. They love being out on the field, out on the court, practicing. You know, are you prepared to shoot 503 for free throws without breaking a sweat? If not, you know what? D1 basketball might not be for you because that's what the people that are making it, that are doing it, that's what they do. They just sit there for as long as it takes to shoot 500 free throws to make it muscle memory, for example. Mm. The point I mean in that is, so people understand that. Like, okay, Steph Curry did not just become Steph Curry without doing insane drills and practice. No game, just practice. Just let's just take an afternoon and shoot three-pointers so your arm, you can barely lift it up just to get that 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 stroke, if you will. People understand that. I think like in the gaming industry, people would need to understand that if you're going to either build a game or help sell a game, there are things you can do and that you would need to do. So for example, if you're going to build a game, learn how to build a game. Everything's on the internet. And I hate to say it like that because I don't want to sound dismissive of people. <laughs> but when I was in Iceland, you know, there's a, a island in the middle of the ocean that most people can't find on the map. Not most. A lot of people can't. It's not the place that people think about. Let's put it like that. But there were people I'm watching that just are self-teaching themselves. They're just going on the internet, looking up how to make a game and just reading the articles and doing the tutorials and downloading software that can help them make something, anything. They make it, they ask their friends to play it, they get feedback, they go back, they make another one. Here's a fact that many people may not know. Most people are probably familiar with the game Angry Birds. Mm-hmm. What they're not familiar with is the fact the team that made Angry Birds, it was their 51st game. Mm. No one knows the name of the previous 50 games. Mm. And mind you, making the game is not an easy undertaking, but they did it 50 times. Wow. Guess what? The 51st <laughs> was where all the learnings from those other 50 games came into play. And that's why Angry Birds is such a well-designed, easy-to-play, well-balanced game that it was. Because arguably they failed 50 times, and then the 51st was where it all came together. Right. A lot of musical artists will say, you know, how many songs have they written to then get that song of songs that everyone loves? You know, it's, you know, it's, it's not like LL made his first album. Those were the first eight, 10 songs he wrote. Probably had hundreds. Yeah, true. Right. So in the game industry, if you're going to like sell and be a marketer, sure. Learning how to organically grow a product or service on social media. Yeah, that's important. That's proven. I mean, I know somebody that got into social media marketing just by going to small businesses and saying, hey, I will promote you online. Well, I don't have any money to pay you to do that. No problem. Give me a share. Give me a commission for the people that come in and can prove they came from the website. Hmm. And that was 15 years ago. They're doing quite well for themselves now. I mean, they got picked up by a big corporation because Mm -hmm. they understood small business marketing at like this very, very door-to-door level. But I'm telling you how a person that didn't have, they didn't have a Harvard degree. They got an undergrad, HBCU, but they just hustled. They, you know, they went, they learned small business marketing. They then applied that 
then they got they, you know, basically started an agency that got acquired by a big name agency. They worked there, still applying the small business logic they learned on their own, going to barbershops and beauty salons, getting people to like advertise online. And ultimately they went to one of the biggest companies in the world to do this stuff. Hmm. Sure, it took 15 years, but you know, they started out in their 20s. They're like in their late 30s, early 40s now. And they're they're killing it. They're doing well. Once again, you gotta you gotta put in the work to to learn the skills in gaming, just as you would in any other industry. And don't forget, gaming is where tech and entertainment meet. Hmm. Now, on that note, you know, we talked a little bit about some of the companies that you think are doing a an excellent job of hiring minorities. I know Activision, you know, they actively pursued Dan Cherry and he was their chief chief marketing officer there and left and went to Marvel, I think, I believe, DC Comics, I believe. You have right. Angela over at uh, Riot Games and then you have Davina, our good friend Davina over at PlayStation. We have our good friend over at Facebook Gaming. But, but outside of that, you know, you have other brands, other companies now that are emerging, black companies that are now coming out and saying, hey, we want a piece of the pie. You have companies like uh, BCGA. You and I both are on the board with Keisha Walker, mm-hmm. one of the biggest, one of the most um, profound marketers in the country. You have Rod Chappelle, who co-founded the esports, esports HBCU Alliance with myself and Harry Stinson. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, George Lynch and his his group over there. You have, what else we have? We have Community. And so there's a number of, of, of brands that are out there what would you say to those companies out there that are black, black companies that are out here trying to get a piece of the pie or black women organizations or women organizations like CNN, Aaron, they're, they're a women's organization that they do podcasting, for example, with the esports future ride podcast network. Uh, so what would you tell these brands that are out here that are minority, that are black or people of color that are trying to get into this space and occupy this space? What would you, what kind of recommendations would you give them as they pursue uh, getting into this area? The quick recommendation I'll give to them is secure the bag mm. because access to capital. And what I mean is access to patient capital, you know, because when I look at the succeed, the, the successful companies, they were the companies that they had a plan. They had a strategy. They got amount of capital and mind you, the amount increases almost every year, but I mean, arguably, arguably, you know, if I'm just going to pick a number out of the sky, but I like to use numbers because they're relative. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking five to 10 million bucks and we don't know if there's going to be success in this minimum for two to three years. We got to invest in it, build out the model, tweak as we go along. And then we may be able to start to to, to, to get some truly, some truly good returns and returns I'm not always measured in dollars. It could be a nonprofit you're setting up that could become as influential as the NCAA for esports. Mm-hmm. But you're going to need some starting working capital to get up and get running to, to to get qualified good people to execute to bring in everyone and create the ecosystem that will make you sustainable and make you a viable entity. I use as an example the Bayou Classic, which I know intimately well. My parents went to Southern University. So Southern play Grambling every year. Mm-hmm. Someone decided long ago, okay, hey, let's bring this down to New Orleans and play it in the Superdome because 
rather than do a home and away between Grambling, Louisiana and Baton Rouge, everyone comes down to New Orleans. It's Thanksgiving weekend. It's a it's a it's a long weekend anyway. So you eat your turkey, get in the car the next day, head to New Orleans. They had to build that. And it was the Bayou Classic was known, but it wasn't known by everybody. Right. But because they built it and because it was sustainable and it could stand on its own two feet, here comes the media deal with NBC. Mm. Once NBC brought in their money and the, like the bigger you make the spectacle better, because we now have B footage of everything. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what you had the step show, the battle of the bands, the career fair, motivational speakers. I mean, you know, they've had like, they didn't get the Obamas. That thing Oprah's been there through there a couple of times. Mm-hmm. My point to you is it created this phenomenon, but they kind of like had to seed it and water it first. Essence, right. yeah. Essence Music Fest was supposed to be one year celebration for Essence to celebrate 25 years of being a magazine. Right. It's now empowerment. Man, that thing became music. a cultural. Yeah. What's it? It's like they even have empowerment there now. It's no longer just music. It's empowerment as well. <laughs> it's, it's it's become. Right. I mean, it took on to me, you know, like it got, there was a movie made about it. Girls trip. Like they made yeah. a whole movie about something that was just supposed to be this one year anniversary celebration. My point to you is, especially when I think about black owned and black run entertainment and media, you gotta have that that that's I call it I call it patient capital. Mm-hmm. You gotta have somebody willing to invest in in and put their money on the line and 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 basically let it ride. And I will say sometimes the challenges I see in black owned businesses is a, a bit of impatience, frankly. Mm. You know, like we're gonna put this money in and we gotta get that return. And now, mind you, some of that we you know we could talk all day about the amount of wealth between various communities because of various things over time. So that's right. a whole nother subject, but partially because a lot of other groups, non-black, have a lot more money. So if you're worth a hundred million, five million is gonna hurt a lot less than if you worth 20 million. Mm, true. I mean, it's something to think about. Yes. If you're a billionaire, five million is a is a I mean it's a rounding error. I always tell that to people, like, hey. If someone said they're going to start something that's going to become really big and all they need from you is five grand, do you think you could get it to them? And by the way, you can't ask about that five grand for another two years. Just let them do their thing. A lot of people would be like, oh, yeah, I think, I mean, if I knew the person, knew the team, talk to them, yeah, five grand, I'd be comfortable. Right. That's how a billionaire looks at $5 million. Hmm. Let me just. No, it's, it's, just math. It's, it's good information. I think. You know, when I talk to you, <laughs> I'm always just sitting there thinking I'm in class, man. And it's it's refreshing to talk to you because I and I know that we're coming up on time. But can, can we bring you back <laughs> because you're a wealth of information? Absolutely. And I just think that, and I'm, I'm I'm not saying that you don't do this, but I want to continue to I want to encourage you to continue to to spit that fire and educate people about this space. And I know you came from the classroom, but I really think you you should return to the classroom at some point, <laughs> not full time, but, but but really educate uh, yeah. folks about the ecosystem. Because right now you have a lot of people that work in academia that want to do the video game industry or esports, but they're not they weren't or not have been practitioners. The universities seem to always want to hire people that have PhDs, and I'm like, this is one of those spaces that 
you got to have people that have experiences. You, you can have a combination of educators and practitioners, but you really need practitioners here if you're talking about building a, a, a curriculum uh, or building a, a sustainable program. And I'm not even sure if you really need to build a curriculum. I really think you should do a concentration and maybe a certificate program, maybe and call it a day <laughs> because I just don't know if it right. makes sense to do, do it that way. But I, again, always enjoy you, Corey. Definitely want to have you back and always want to make sure that we have, we, we know what's going on in your world. And so, and Corey, as I mentioned before, we both are on a brand new board called uh, BCGA, and we we love that the, a young lady that runs it, Keisha Walker. We we're just just thrilled to be a part of it, and also working with other black professionals that are that coming that come from the entertainment and the video game industry. And so uh, again, you've been listening to Corey Roseman, the vice president of Nacon Gaming Global Partnerships and director of Rig Gaming. Yes, you see it right here, the rig, and you see Call of Duty Cold War. This is limited edition. It's only 10 of these in the United States. And Corey uh, was very kind and got me this here. So I'm not giving it away. I'm not putting it online. I'm not selling. This is mine, M-I-N-E, mine. And so I'm, I'm usually not that selfish, but I'm selfish with this. Uh, so Corey, thank you, brother, for coming out. You need out. to open it up, though, Mark. That's okay. one thing I'll say, man. Use it. Okay, I'll use it. I promise I will use it. I just wanted to make sure that he saw that I had it still and that I had it. And it was, it's very special. Now that people know I have it, they're going to be trying to come and get me. So no, I ain't going to try to let them you can come and get me. You're not going to know where I have it anyway. So Corey, we really appreciate you coming by the Esports Future Ride Podcast Network. You know, that is powered by Innovation Media Enterprises. Aaron, Sia, you did your thing once again. Thank you for making this happen for Brother Corey. AJ, my man, making us sound so good on the wheels of steel. And we could not have done this without the RZA, the head. You know, I was going to give out that hip hop reference, brother. You know, Jacob Miles, the third, not the first, not the second, but the third. Thank you so much. And remember, I always say this to you, you know, this thing right here. And it just so happens that it's black and old gold too. Okay. Black and old gold, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated colors. Yesterday was, well, you know, MLK Day happened this year. Okay. And MLK, Martin Luther King, was a member of our great fraternity. Is a member, not was, is, it always will be. Okay. Jackie Robinson, Frederick Douglass, Adam Clayton Powell, you know, Thurgood Marshall. Yeah, I don't want to keep bragging about Alpha Phi Alpha, but this is Miramar, which is a city right outside of Miami and uh, Fort Lauderdale, which is where I'm moving to. And the mayor there is, yes, an alpha brother. His name is Mayor Messam, Wayne Messam. So, you know, Messam, like you mess him up. Yes. So Wayne Messam, this is to you. I'm showing that I'm practicing social distancing with my Miramar face mask here. And he actually won the national championship in 93 with Charlie Ward. He was a wide receiver. Yes, that's a, 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 a trivia question. And in response, anyway, Practice safe social distancing, please. Make sure you're six feet apart from people. Wash your hands 20 seconds or more. Make sure you've got on your sanitizer. Make sure that you cover your mouth when you cough and you sneeze and all that good stuff. Remember, you can control three things, what you think, what you do, and what you say, my friends. What you think, what you do, what you say. I look forward to seeing you soon on another episode of Dr. Mark's Masterclass. See you soon. Peace. Thanks for listening to Dr. Mark's Masterclass. I pray you enjoyed yourself today. I had a good time. I don't know about you, but this podcast is part of the Esports Future Ride Podcast Network and is produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Please be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and let us know how we're doing by leaving a comment or a review. Class dismissed. Class dismissed.